But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. value adds value fam thanks for checking out this episode where will and i um are just kind of recapping what's been going on around us um since this episode we did um you know find out that derek chauvin was convicted on all the charges um and you know several other things have happened in the area of policing so we know it's a very um, hot button subject, but really when we have these conversations, it's as much for us as anything else to just process it ourselves so that way we have a good feel for how we want to address it with our kids and how we can leverage their voices. So that's what we talked about on this episode, how do we leverage student voices, um, and especially one thing that we um, are working on is not having the fear of the parent blowback, um, maybe that's not the right word to use, but um, not letting the fear of what might happen or, you know, if some parents get uncomfortable, prevent us from having the conversations that our kids need. So that's where we're at on this episode. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, we're going to be excited for our next episode with Viv Elliott. Um, we're pumped for that. We got Liz Kleinrock coming up this week too, so it's been great. So thanks for everything. Enjoy this episode. We were talking last night and something came up because, you know, we hear a lot that people say we should just move on. That slavery is in the past and racism is in the past. But we were talking and it's something that I've heard you say. Do you think moving on and moving forward are two different things? Moving on and moving forward. As relating to what? As relating to like the human rights and race issues that we have in our in our country. This was this was my thesis on it. To me, when people say we should just move on, that sounds like we should just act like it, pretend like it didn't happen, and just go live our mm -hmm. lives and do what we're doing. If we are going to move forward as, you know, closer to what you said, that e pluribus unum, then we have to acknowledge the issues that are there and, and really get to a point where everyone can say like, yeah, I, I see this. And to me, I think 
we should strive to move forward, not move on. And, and I will support your thesis. Um, I support your thesis. Um, we have moved on. Time predicts that, we're, that we have to move on because every day brings a new day. That, and, then that, and that day brings a new day. The issue is, as you said, we can't move forward because forward speaks to, I wrote down two words, well, three words, action, acknowledgement, activation. Um, because in order to move forward, you have to acknowledge what's keeping you stagnant. Why is it that you are still not progressing at the rate that you should culturally? What's, what's going on? And so if you don't have that acknowledgement, you can't create a, an, an appropriate plan of action, which means that you're stuck in a place where you can see that the button is there, but pressing it, there's no mechanics behind it. You can press the button and say, we're moving forward, but it's just a dummy button. You know what I mean? It's just a dummy button. It's just there to show you, yeah, we're, 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 moving, we're moving forward, but no, we're moving on because you still refuse to to acknowledge what's going on. And when usually, and, and, and usually when, when black people start talking about acknowledgement, you know, a lot of people who are non-black first start saying things like, oh, so you're talking about reparations. <clears throat> you know, that, that's where they want to go. But the reality of it is, is that the government did tell the African-American community that they would provide them with reparations. And they never did. And they could have, they could have 160 years ago when it would have changed the fabric. Watch this. They never did it. And to further, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Um, perpetuate the issue. Wherever black people moved, white people moved out. When jobs were being lost, it's better to take a job from a black man than a white man. That's the mindset that 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 was that was put in place. So you, America has literally, because of her lies to herself, because when you lie to your people, you're lying to yourself. That's like me waking up every morning and saying, I'm 180 pounds. I'm 180 pounds, but I'm still sitting here with a backpack full of Twinkies. You know what I'm saying? If I'm telling myself I'm 180 pounds as I'm running on my run, or I got a rucksack on, or I'm on my bicycle, or if I'm at the gym and every time that's my that's my mental goal and I'm doing something that's different. But if I'm telling myself I'm 180 pounds, but I'm still having 240 pound behavior, then I'm lying to myself. And I think America has been a lie, has been lying to herself so much that to uncover and to unpack that lie will disrupt so much. So the only thing you can do is you gotta try to settle this. You gotta bring back businesses into our black communities. 
no big box chain stores in black communities in Houston. None. There's no Walmarts in, 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 in the hoods. There's no Kroger, no HEB. So we're stuck going to, to, to neighborhood stores like Singar that has, you know, bread that in the store is maybe $2. Over here, it's going to be $3.50. You know, alcohol, rubbing alcohol that's 99 cents in the store over here is going to be $1.99. So, so you don't bring in the things that's going to help bring up the value of the neighborhood. You strip away everything. You take away all the black businesses, all the incentives, all the incentives, incentives for black business. And so now you have this migration where black people leave their neighborhoods and then you go gobble up their land and then turn it into a new urban environment and market it at values so high that soon as you put the property there, the property tax on Big Mama House, that's a two bedroom, one bath shotgun house, goes up so high that she can't afford to keep it. So now you get more. And so now you have this population of migrative people who kind of move based on the rent, who move based on where you can, where you allowed to live that still perpetuates the issue that caused you to give us the reparations in the beginning. And as a people, and I'm not talking about black, as a country, United States, everybody has to open their eyes up. You know, Martin Luther King said it best. He said it is a cruel insult to tell a bootless man to pull himself up by his bootstraps. So, until we start to really dig and dissect in that, we're gonna be stuck stagnant. But who are the change makers? Who are the, key, who, who are the ones that are blurring the color line? Our kids. Who are the ones who are finding more, they're not as separated as their fat parents. You know, my, my class, I have a perfect mixture, you know, black, white, Asian, uh, Hispanic, all, and not just Hispanic from Mexico. I got Hispanic from El Salvador and Ecuador and you know yeah. all these different places in Central America in this one classroom. So to deal with that cross-cultural culturalization, I told the kids, I say, the challenge is I want you guys to think about what we need to do as a country. Instantly, these kids got to going and throwing. I think we ended up with a web with like 60 different ideas on it. So if we as teachers are not preparing our students to be able to have those type of conversations, to be able to, to, to voice their opinions, then what we're doing is we're trying to say, keep doing it the way that we've done it because that's right and it's wrong. Yeah. It is wrong. And it and really working to on you know the the idea. And this is maybe a broader thing that, you know, you and I have been talking about and working on for quite a while is like, how do you create the conversation space so that we can bring both bring our truths, you know, if, and, and I think it, it comes back to that and the issue that I had before I met you really, like I had never been in a position to 
understand the truth of people of color. And there's still a huge swath of our country that's not. And and that's more of, you know, in our long-term goals and plans for what, you know, we would want to be doing and, and how we want to continue our work. But that's something to me that I really, that idea of even in my classroom, allowing the space to where students can can speak their truths and and is a space to where they can say, okay, like I understand that your truth is true. And maybe and, and maybe not even saying like your whole truth, but there are parts of your truth that are true. There are parts of my truth that are true. And we're gonna work to find, you know, a common truth and you know, maybe 14 year old kids can't do it, but be able to to do that, to hold the the conflicting ideas in your head, to hold that idea that you can be pro law enforcement while requesting them to improve and to learn and to change. You can you can be that. You that that shouldn't be radical. You shouldn't be anti-police if you say yes there are things in our policing that need to change our society has kind of built that up i know and and that man it's just so sad that that's where we've come to where like i told you i had the conversation with somebody and said you know who made a comment about me wearing my black lives matter um wristband and said, so you want to defund the police too? I said, absolutely not. And he said, but that's what they want. I said, you ask me, what do I want? So you asked me, what did I want? Yeah. I want you and everybody who sees me to know that Black Lives Matter. So for me, this is not about go defund the police. I, I don't think you need to defund the police. I think you need to reteach. I mean, I'm Re a teacher. Retrain. We need to reteach and reassess the, 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 the police officers we have out on our streets right now. And I wonder how many of them would really make the grade under a stringent psycho psychological evaluation. Well, and you can talk about, especially with the Chauvin case, I mean, you there. There's an argument to be made that that was com incredibly preventable, considering he has something along the lines of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen complaints against him for excessive force. There's a world where, with accountability, he wouldn't have been on a police force anymore. Because think about it, if I was a teacher with that many complaints of being abusive to children, do you think I would have been allowed back in the classroom? Nope. No, not at all. You know. What, what makes our public service different? Oh man, public service. Because that's what we are, public servants. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this so touching for me or kind of touchy for me because I see myself in the same role, in the same light as police. I don't disrespect police officers. 
but I do expect for you to get to know me first before you judge me, which is the exact same thing parents want from kids, teachers when they go to school. You know, that, that, that's what we, that's what we would hope for our kids, teachers, that they get to know them first before they start bringing a hammer. Get the right tool for the job. Right. Don't bring a sledgehammer when all you needed was 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 a little, you know. We're gonna hang a hammer. hang a yeah, hang a hang a picture up. And you coming out here with the jackhammer. Where I plug this in at? <laughs> you know, you should... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, and but, you know, I think that you know, and I think that to speak to your situation at your school, and I would never tell anybody to buck the system of their administrators. And I know that's not what your goal is. I think you're just trying to say within the realm of what I'm being allowed to do, what is the best that I can do that's gonna best serve our students? Uh, and I think that, that that is admirable. And I'm gonna say this to you, make sure that every conversation that you have with your students is one, number one is not political, it doesn't express any of your political views. And number two, that it supports your beliefs. Because again, people always say, you don't want to indoctrinate. That's the reason they took character education out of school. We don't want to indoctrinate kids. You know, we're not trying to, to do as Hitler did with the young people, you know, with the, was it the fourth right? Uh, yeah, they called it the Hitler Youth. Yeah, yeah. So you, 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 we, we're not trying. I'm not speaking of that. That that's not where I want to go. But I do think there's some basic human rights, some basic human decency that are universal across the board. That when you speak on them you should speak on, be able to project your thoughts. <clears throat> if a kid only hears that black people are bad, black people are bad, black people are bad, stay away from black people, be afraid of black people, oh, don't get close to the black people. If that's all they're hearing, oh, the black people deserve this, oh, da, 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 da. if they're only hearing that, that's indoctrination because you're indoctrinating them into a culture, but asking kids the question, why is it perceived that all black people are bad or negative or are negative? Asking that question and involving in, engaging in a conversation, that's not indoctrination, that's understanding. That's gaining clarity. And I, I, I would gather to say that any parent that has an issue with their kids engaging in that conversation, them themselves are trying to indoctrinate their kids to a certain line of thinking. I don't want my daughter to think the same way I think. <clears throat> I would hope that her thoughts go beyond my thoughts. I would hope that, that her understanding of things go deeper than my understanding of things. Why? Because she's the next generation. I'm scarred by, by the things that I've seen and I've heard through my life. I don't want those same scars and scabs to hinder her. 
in her growth and development. You know, I think sometimes as parents, we take the rose colored glasses off our kids too soon. And granted, I'm not saying, oh, make everything hunky dory, you know, yeah, 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 no problem, no issues. But I think we involve them too soon. But when they start to ask questions is when we have to start engaging them. Because if they're asking questions, they're curious. And if you don't give them the answers, they're going to find it somewhere. Especially in the world we lived in, oh, lived in now. And, and there's... <laughs> and there's some less than savory things that they find. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and on both and, sides. On both sides, yeah. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Like, and, and even just, you, there's a, like, the, while you were talking, you know, the term stereotype came to mind, you know, and, and wondering, ask, maybe asking a question of the kids, like, how, how do you feel like, you yourself are stereotyped because then you give the kids who are you know of different races the chance to say well i feel like if i express my opinion then i'm automatically going to be a racist and and opening up that space because i mean if especially with the kids i mean you got to feel like i mean you remember being 14 15 you are really concerned with how people view you and how people see you and to to maybe open it up with that space where you can say like i'm i'm concerned that if i said my opinion then i would be considered a racist and then you open the space well you know do your actions do your particular you know we were talking about you as people well stereotypes are about us as people like as big groups but if i ask you a question about yourself does your behavior translate to that and most of the kids would say no like are you, you know, do you treat your classmates with the same amount of respect, whether they're black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's maybe a direction I would want to take it is just to be able to say, like, hey, you know, we we all have concerns. We all, you know, there are things that worry us about this situation and just to provide all the kids a space to to speak and and you know get some things off their chest and you know you were talking about when kids start to ask and that's where i have a difficult time um because my kids generally when we're having these conversations always ask and i'm not one if i get asked a question not not to answer it now granted i don't go into my particular political leanings which i will say with like with you recently are starting to change um i'm I'm definitely becoming more of a you know centrist independent kind of feeling person because i'm i've been really pushing myself to get outside of my particular news channels and places where i get my stuff to really listen to some other voices um but that's where I worry. But I, I can't be afraid of that. I think that's what it boils down to. You know, we have this meeting, we do these things, and and I get worried that somehow, you know, something's going to go super sideways. But the truth is, I trust myself. Mm-hmm. I trust myself that in a, in a difficult conversation, I can handle myself, and that I won't say something that is offensive to my kids or to anyone. And if a parent mm-hmm. comes back, 
I will happily have a conversation with them about what what the particular activity was or something like that, and I'll deal with that conversation. I and and the more I think about it, it brings me back to what you said yesterday it, that I wasn't trying. Like if I'm afraid to have a parent conversation and that prevents me from doing the work I need to do for my kids, then that's like a real problem. That's a real problem. I, I, and it makes me frustrated because I do feel like there's a lot of pandering to parents and we worry way more about what parents feel than what our kids feel. Oh man, you, you spoke upon a lot right there. <laughs> you know, and that's just, and especially in a situation to where we're in right now where parents have so much access to their kids' education, um, you know, with online schools and so on. So, so that parents, you know, have all of a sudden taken a more concerted role in it, some of them, and which I'm all for. Oh, for sure. You know, I eavesdropped on some of the advanced classes myself in the, in the first nine weeks. Um, I wanted to see what was going on, how the teachers were teaching. Like I, I, I did. My, my issue with some parents is that they'll go off of part of a conversation. Now, granted, I can't say I've heard some of the stuff coming out of California. Some of the conversations from school boards to, to classroom teachers over the last couple of months that just blows my mind what what do you what exit what exactly are you all right like for instance the school board a school board in california um literally the entire school board resigned because they had invited parent they had, had a board meeting they thought it was a private meeting with just the board members but it was actually an open oh. forum meeting with parents and constituents and, and stakeholders. And they were on there talking about uh, the kids and how the parents want their day, they want their babysitters back so they can send their kids away. And um, it's always the black parents. And one one board member was saying, oh yeah, uh, my brother has works for a medical marijuana delivery company company and he delivers to this parent and da 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 da, da and they kind of got a chuckle out of it and it was all live on zoom and then finally one of the ladies like uh this was an open meeting she's like no stop lying and yeah and like one of the ladies was even talking about how if you want to see me like that then come on over here i'm nobody's bitch and da, 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 da. like it just makes no sense another parent was on a Zoom, the kid was in a Zoom classroom, the teacher thought that all the kids had left and was having a conversation about a kid and the kid's mom was right there and recorded the entire conversation. Talking about, of course, it's always the black parent that this, that does this and says they can't do this and who doesn't have internet in this age, day and age, yada, 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 yada. Okay, that's, you know what I'm saying? So I do know that there are unsavory characters within our profession. You know, I do know that just as I'm saying that the police needs to be reassessed, I can say also that teaching needs to be reassessed. Um, I, I can honestly say that, um, that, that we both have holes 
But remember, everybody was screaming for education reform because teachers, they thought teachers were failing students. But nobody wants to bring about police reform when our police is failing our communities. Yeah, and we were talking about this too. I mean, and education is in a situation a lot like policing is where, you know, the shortage in both of those services, you know, at times I can understand how it forces administrators on both sides to have to keep around people that ordinarily ordinarily they wouldn't. And, you know, my mind always kind of goes to like, well, you know, do you think if you got rid of some of these people and you improve the profession that it wouldn't attract more people and better people if, if there was prestige and yeah. I mean, we can look at Finland. Finland did just that. They cleaned house, changed everything up, said these are the new requirements. And now to be a teacher in Finland is comparable to being a doctor in the United States. Their, their education school, their ed school of education is competitive. They only allow so many per term. Just like with what we would get with medical doctors. So when you put your importance, when you when you put your priority, shift your priorities to what's most important, things things really do change over the long haul. It really does. And education and policing and the justice system, all of that needs an overhaul. We have to shift it. And really the shift won't happen with our parents or our grandparents. It's gonna happen with our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. So it is so important that as educators that we empower those students with their voice. There is nothing more important than a person's voice. It is what identifies them. It is what makes them unique in this world. There's no other perspective like Kyle Krieger. Yeah, there may be people who think like you. There may be people who have the same beliefs as you, but there's not another Kyle Krieger. And so when we, if we want to change where we are, we have to empower students to be able to use their voice in an appropriate way. We can say it like how we deal with relationships. How do they build up their voice? How do they maintain their voice? <clears throat> Excuse me. And now how do I leverage my voice for not only myself, but for others? Yeah, and I think it brings us back to that point that we made a long time ago when we started doing this is like, you know, what, what happens if another generation of kids don't fall in love with school and they teach their kids not to fall in love with school, but maybe it's more of just beyond that. What if we teach another generation of kids or we don't, you know, give them the chance to express their voice mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it's different. I mean, cause this is the first generation where everything is out there. The true, the true, scars and black eyes that our country has are being laid bare and and they're the first generation that's going to say okay this is really our situation 
because I think that's one of the biggest problems and it's still a big problem in communities that don't have people of color is you can't believe and not that you ch- that you just choose not like I don't think people choose not to believe it you just unless you have experience with it or you're in it you can't you can't understand it unless you have a experience like me like you know me you know I met Tia before I met you I mean Tia was probably genuinely my first African American friend and then I met you and and you start to see it and and I can picture myself like gosh what if Nevea was in this situation what if in a year or two when she gets her driver's license, she gets pulled over? Like, what then? And obviously that's harder for you because you're her dad. And and even just because the math teacher on my team um, is African-American and her son's like in third grade. And she's having to explain to him, you know, why people would dislike him just because his skin is brown. And he can't he can't understand it. Because if you put him in a playground with kids who've never been exposed, they'll play with anybody unless they're old not to. I've never seen a kid not play with another kid because of their color unless they've been told not to. Because for kids, I just see another human my size. I'm not the only one down here looking at kneecaps. So I'm going to be gravitate to you because clearly we have something in common. Their Why can't is, we as adults Their world do is that? so simple. Why can't we do that? They, they just see people. They see people. Mm. So. I love it. They- Thank you again for checking out this episode of Value Adds Value. Um, we appreciate you being here, supporting the podcast and listening. Um, as we have these conversations among ourselves and try to have them the best we can with our students and really, like we said, leverage their voices um, and focus on how they're going to change the world, not how we can change the world uh, for the adults. So thanks again for checking out this episode. Find us on Instagram at value adds value. Um, And we hope to see you back here again next week with uh, the next episode from Viv Elliott.